Okay, we have 11 people. Gallery is Cheryl. Nicole. How is everyone? Good. Good. Is it a break or a burden to be doing this today? Or a little of both? A break. All right, good. I'm glad that people are actually here because I had another like optional review session in a class that has like 90 plus people and me and one other person showed up and it was oh, no. probably the most awkward thing that I've ever had to do. I had to like make up a question to make it seem <laughs> like I was there for some reason. So what class? Uh sociology class. So just yeah. random. Sociology <laughs> of celebrity if anyone else is in it. <laughs> no one's gonna admit it now. Um <laughs> I think it's one of those game theory things which is that in a class like this, if you don't come, you'll actually be, you won't be um, uh, part of a crowd because the class is small enough that um, you may think that you're not coming will be noticed. But if there are 90 people in a class, 88 of them think that they're not coming won't be noticed because um, with 85 people at Z in Zoom, the fact that they're not there just won't. So they all think the same way and no one comes. All right, well, um, let's, let's pick up. I, I have, um, I don't know um, if I'm optimistic that we'll finish by tomorrow, but we can keep going as long as people are coming. But uh, uh, let us um, go to Act 4, Scene 7. Um, so remember, Ina Barbas is despairing over what he's done. And now we're in the midst of the second battle of Actium. Um, in real life, these two battles were years apart from each other, but um, not in the play. So you gotta go with Shakespeare and not with history. Um, so we need um, Agrippa, Scarus, Antony, and Eros. So we'll just go, again, I'm just gonna go um, through the gallery. So Sophia, you be Agrippa. Um, Matthew, you be Scarus, Elisa, um, you be Antony, and um, Cassie, you be Eros. Okay. Um, retire. We have engaged ourselves too far. Caesar himself has work, and our oppression exceeds what we expected. So what's the surprise there? Who's um, who's who is Agrippa the second in command for? Caesar. Yeah, and so what's Agrippa saying? Antony is like putting up a fight, and they were expecting it to just be like a blowout. Yeah, but in fact, Antony is seems like he's winning. Um, at least he's saying retreat. Uh, we have to retreat. Um, we've, we've gone too far, now we have to retreat. So 
um, Agrippa and um, his men exit, and in comes Antony and Scarus. So, Scarus. Oh, my brave emperor, this is fought indeed. Had we done so at first, we had driven them home with clouds about their heads. So if only they'd done that in the first battle. Um, it's notice, uh, notice the word indeed there, which is going to come back in an interesting way. Um, Antony? Thou bleedest apace. I had a wound here that was like a T, but now tis made an H. So the joke there is that they uh, do. it's ache is how it was pronounced then. Oh, so, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, you, no, no modern audience could follow that because H is the letter and ache is the pronunciation. Um, Anthony? They do retire. We'll beat him into bench holes. I have yet room for six scotches more. So he's only got an H. He's got, there's, there's lots more that he can be um, uh, wounded. Uh, his body has a lot of room for more wounds. Enter Eros. They are beaten, sir, and our advantage serves for a fair victory. Let us score their backs and snatch them up as we take hairs behind to sport to maul a runner. I will reward thee once for thy sprightly comfort and tenfold for thy good valor. Come thee on. I'll halt after. So um, things are looking good. Okay, next scene. Um, we need simply Antony. So why don't you, uh, no, we need Antony and Cleopatra. So um, why don't, um, uh, um, sorry, um, Elisa, why don't you continue as Antony and um, are we, Cassie, did you have something in the previous one? Yeah, I was just Eros. You, you were Eros, right? That was brief enough. Why don't you be Cleopatra? So, Lisa. We have beaten to a camp, run one before, and let the queen know of our guests. Our guests, yes. our jests. Jests. Um, that is jests as in chanson de geste, or our word gesture, which means it's what we've okay. done. Okay. What we've done. Okay. Tomorrow, before the sun shall see us, we'll spill the blood that has today escaped. I thank you all for doughty-handed are you, and have fought not as you serve the cause, but as it has been each man's like mine. You have shown all Hector's. Enter the city, clip your wives, your friends, tell them your feats, whilst they with joyful tears wash the congealment from your wounds, and kiss the honored gashes whole. So one thing to notice here is, um, or two things to notice about this. One, you have shown all Hectors. Who's Hector? Someone quickly. Um, from the Trojan War, he was like the like greatest warrior on the Trojan side. Yeah, he was the protector of Troy, the son of Priam. Um, once he dies, Troy falls, um, and the Iliad is about the death of Hector. Uh, last line of the Iliad. Anyone know? And so they buried Hector, breaker of horses. Um, very last line. Um, so, but notice the plurality. So, and Antony, um, as though there could be more than one, now you're getting the version of that as you have shown all Hectors. And then um, also notice that tis the god Antony now, uh, tis the god Hercules whom Antony loved now leaves him. So, 
Antony wins despite the fact that he doesn't have the sponsorship of the god anymore. This is an entire, this victory is entirely his own. There's no divine help for this victory, and yet he wins. And um, the fact that Shakespeare puts the um, abandonment of Antony before this battle is striking. And again, says something about um, both Antony's magnificence even in abandonment. And that magnificent is, magnificence here is such that it's as though he hasn't been abandoned. Okay, enter Cleopatra. Give me thy hand to this great fairy, I'll commend thy acts. Make her thanks, bless thee, O thou day of the world. Chain mine armed neck, leap thou, attire and all, through proof of harness to my heart and there ride on the pants triumphing. So he's ecstatic to see her um, and imagines her going right through his armor um, to embrace him. And then this great line, this great speech of Cleopatra's. Lord of Lords, O infinite virtue, comest thou smiling from the world's great snare uncaught. My nightingale, we have beat them to their beds. What girl, though gray, do something mingle with our younger brown, yet have we a brain that nourishes our nerves and can get goal for goal of youth. Behold this man. Commend unto his lips thy favored hand. Kiss it, my warrior. He hath fought today as if a god in hate of mankind had destroyed in such a shape. I'll give thee, friend, an armor all of gold. It was a king's. He has deserved it, word carbuncled like holy Phoebus's car. Who's give Phoebus? Me who's Phoebus? Thy hand. Wait, who's Phoebus? Sun god. Yeah, so the chariot of the sun. Um, remember that's uh, the chariot that his um, son insists on, on um, driving and uh, that's the creation of the Milky Way. Okay, go on. Though through Alexandria make a jolly march, bear our hacked targets like the men that owe them. Had our great palace the capacity to camp this host, we all would sup together and drink carouses to the next day's fate, which promises royal peril. Trumpeters with brazen din blast you the city's ear. Make mingle with our rattling tambourines that heaven and earth may strike their sounds together, applauding our approach. So another party in Alexandria, um, more um, celebration another gaudy night. And um, a thing I think, I just want to observe this, that um, the reason that Scarus is important here is that um, it's as though the role of Enobarbus has now been split between um, Eros and Scarus. That is what Enobarbus was in Antony's life now Eros and Scarus are the two aspects of Enobarbus, the best friend, um, the most loyal friend, and the, the efficient and experienced soldier. 
So Antony still has those people around him, even though Enobarbus, to whom we now turn, has abandoned him. So we need a sentry, two people of the watch, and Enobarbus. Um, so we are up to uh, Nakul, you be the, the sentry. Uh, Cheryl, can you be the first watch? Uh, Grace, the second watch. And um, Tish, can you be Enobarbus? Okay, Nicole. If we be not relieved within this hour, we must return to the court of guard. The night is shiny, and they say we shall embattle by the second hour in the morning. This last day was a shrewd one to us. So these are, these are Caesar's sentries and guards who are anticipating another fight, and they're not, things are not good for them. Oh, bear me witness tonight. What man is this? Stand close and lift him. Be witness to me, O thou blessed moon, when men revolted shall upon record bear hateful memory, for Anabarbus did before thy face repent. Anabarbus? Peace, hark further. O sovereign mistress of true melancholy, the poisonous damp of night disponged upon me, that life, a very rebel to my will, may hang no longer on me. Throw my heart against the flint and hardness of my fault, which, being dried with grief, will break the powder and finish all foul thoughts. Oh, Antony, nobler than my revolt is infamous. Forgive me in thine own particular, but let the world rank me and register a master lever and a fugitive. Okay, so again, notice the O Antony there. Um, Antony's not present, and this is yet another moment of calling upon the absent Antony. And then notice the wonderfulness, again, it's, it's a great way of um, encapsulating Antony's magnificence. I'm using the word magnificence because that's Aristotle's word. It's not quite, um, um, it may sound a little bit off in English, but it's a particular term in Aristotle for someone who is um, absolutely willing and able um, to be there for you in any way that you need and in the most, the most extravagant way. But notice this line, oh, Antony, nobler than my revolt is infamous. Um, notice that that's kind of a logical fallacy. It's like taller than me by more than I am shorter than you. Do you see that? Um, that is, Antony's nobility is measured by Ina Barbus's infamy. The fact that he sent everything back, the fact that he treated Enobarbus as he did after Enobarbus betrayed him. That should coordinate those two things. Oh, Antony, nobler than my revolt is infamous. But the thing about Antony is that he is so amazing that he transcends the coordination um, that measures his amazingness. Enobar this is another case of measuring where Enobarbus's um, the infamy of his revolt would be the standard metric 
the standard or metric for Antony's nobility. But Antony exceeds that measure. He overflows the measure. So I think that again is um, just a great line which really captures um, everything that we've seen about Antony. Okay, first watch. Let's speak to him. Let's hear him, for the things he misspeaks may concern Caesar. Let's do so, but he sleeps. Swoons, rather, for so bad a prayer as his was never yet for sleep. Go away to him. Awake, sir. Awake, speak to us. Hear you, sir? The hand of death hath wrought him. Hark the drums, demurely wake the sleepers. Let us bear him to the court of guard. He is of note. Our honor is fully out. Our hour is fully out. Come then, come on then, he may recover yet. So um, you could ask yourself, again, this is a technical question, but it goes to um, what Shakespeare is doing as an expert playwright. Why isn't this just soliloquy? Why do you have Enobarbus, um, why does he have to be overheard? And um, any guesses? We don't have to spend much time on this, but any guesses? I mean, the great, what everyone remembers from this scene is Enobarbus's great speech. And um, the, the rest of it, um, you know, it's, he has two speeches, um, but they could be a soliloquy. He, he addresses the moon and um, he dies saying, oh, Antony, oh, Antony. Um, by the way, notice that, that dying by calling, by saying, oh, Antony, when you die, that is going to come back in a really interesting way in Act Five. Um, um, who do you think dies saying, "Oh, Antony"? Cleopatra. Cleopatra. Is it Eros? Um, no, no. Cleopatra is um, almost right, as we'll see, but not quite. But the almostness of it is going to be the point in Act Five. Um, she wants to die saying, oh, Antony, um, but she doesn't succeed. Um, okay, so why the watch in the century? Maybe so that people know that Anabarbus like regrets kind of moving to the other side. Yeah, which people? Um, the first watch in the century. Well, but there, it, that doesn't matter much. It's more so that we should know. In other words, Shakespeare is offering a history. And if he offers a history, he can't have someone, um, th there's no historical warrant that for a speech that no one has heard. So this is like what we talked about at the end of Hamlet. The reason Horatio has to survive is to tell Hamlet's story. Um, there always have to be survivors in anything um, where we are getting the story after the fact. Um, in order to say, yeah, this is how we know. Um, the other reason, and these two reasons are, are um, they're both true, is that um, if someone dies on stage, then how do you get to the next scene? So dead bodies always have to be carried off stage. And a standard, and that's just standard in, um, in Shakespeare. Remember that after um, Hamlet kills Polonius, he says, I'll drag the guts um, to the lobby, and he drags him off stage. Um, there always have to be, at the end of King Lear, the dead bodies are taken off stage. There have to be survivors who do that, 
And if someone dies, no one ever dies alone on stage in Shakespeare. If they're about to die, they'll go off. They'll say, I must die. I'll find some ditch wherein to die, which is what Ina Barba said the last time. And um, that it would be a surprise that we see him again because I'll find some ditch wherein to die. That's basically how people who are about to die, they're like elephants. Um, they, they leave the presence. Um, they leave our presence. Um, but here, so what Shakespeare is doing, again, if you reverse engineer, Shakespeare wanted a su the surprise of Enobarbus coming back and are actually seeing him die. We thought that that was the end of him, but no, he has, he has one more great speech. And so we, so Shakespeare clearly wanted to put that in, but he can only do it if there are people around who can take him off stage. And he couldn't just go off again and say, okay, now I'm going to die because he's already done that. So um, that's, that's reverse engineering. That's why Shakespeare has to have these people overhearing. Okay. Um, now LV, you be Antony. Talia, you can be Scaris. And um, it's short, so LB. Their preparation is today by sea. We please them not by land. Sorry, I'm trying to figure act out where we are. It, it may be Act 4, Scene 10, um, depending on what edition you have. Okay, I have the Folger edition. Okay, I don't know how they do it, but look at Act 4, Scene 10, see if that works. Yeah, it is Act 4, Scene 10 in the Folger. Okay. Oh, okay. For both, my lord. I would they'd fight in the fire or in the air. We'd fight there too, but this it, this it is. Our food upon the hills adjoining to the, to the city shall stay with us. Order for sea is given. They have put forth a haven, and where their appointment we may best discover and look on their endeavor. Okay, so they're gonna now watch one more battle. It's the next day, and they're gonna watch the battle again from the hills, but because Caesar has now gone forth by sea, they have to defend by sea. Okay, um, why, don't, um, why don't you, um, LV, you, you continue being Antony, because that was so short. Um, Talia, you continue being uh, Scarus, and Sun Kyung, can you be Caesar? But being charged, we will be still by land, which, as I take it, we shall, for his best force is forced to man his galleys to the vales and hold our best advantage. So just very quickly, what's going on here is now Caesar is afraid they're going to lose at sea, but, they're ready, but he's ready to fight by land. Um, so this is just a very quick preparation for what's going to be a sea battle. Okay, then... Um, um, I'm sorry, so then uh, next scene, um, Antony. Yet they're not joined, where yon pine does stand. I shall discover all. I'll bring thee word straight, how tis like to go. And then there's a pause. And then Scarus looks and sees what's happening after Antony um, exits. And what what is happening is they're waiting for the battle to occur, but it's not occurring. Um, and so Anthony is going to go somewhere else to try to see what's going on from a different perspective. And then Scarus tells us what's actually happened. 
Swallows have built in Cleopatra's sails their nests. The Argus says they do they know not, they cannot tell, look grimly and dare not speak their knowledge. Antony is valiant and dejected, and by starts his fretted fortunes give him hope and fear of what he has and has not. Okay, so that's in Plutarch. And the idea is that if swallows are building nests in your, um, um, on, on your masts, in your sails, the augurs, everyone knows that augury um, is soothsaying. And I think we said this earlier in the class, you may, be remember, you may remember that it's a particular kind of soothsaying. The etymology for augur is the same as avian. And it means um, reading what birds do, reading bird flight for, or bird behavior for signs of the future. You can see why that happens because birds can tell when a wind is blowing up, when a storm is coming. If you go to the beach and watch what the birds are doing, you get a sense of the weather that's coming um, in the next little while. So what is the most famous line with the word augury in it in Shakespeare? I'll prompt you, not a wit. We defy augury. Now how it goes from there. There is a special providence in the fall of a sparrow. What's that from? Hamlet. Yeah. But I looked it up, so. That's right. So what, when Hamlet says, um, it, 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 it's one of his great last speeches. Um, it's uh, Horatio says that um, uh, Hamlet is, is going to be in trouble once the king finds out what's happened to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern and so on. And um, isn't he worried? Um, and Hamlet says, yeah, there, I do feel, I do have a kind of presentiment of worry, but I'm not, but I'm not worried about the fact that I'm worried. Um, he says, we defy augury. And then the famous line, there's a special providence in the fall of a sparrow. That's familiar to everyone. Um, is that, um, and he goes, if it is not now, it is to come. If it be not to come yet, it is now. If it is not now yet, it will come. The readiness is all. But the idea of a special providence is that God doesn't use birds in order to tell us what the future is. Um, God pays attention to every single bird and it has its own life to live. So the special providence in the fall of the sparrow is that's the sparrow's tragedy. That's not um, my tragedy that is being symbolized by the sparrow. So that's why Hamlet defies augury. He defies anyone who would look at what happens to a bird and treat that as symbolic rather than just what's happening in that bird's life, which is also an important life. So here the augurs have seen swallows and um, they say this is a terrible, terrible sign. It means that we're going to lose and because they augur that they will lose, they do lose. So enter Antony. Always lost, 
This foul Egyptian hath betrayed me. My fleet hath yielded to the foe, and yonder they cast their caps up and carouse together like friends long lost. Triple turned whore, tis thou hast sold me to this novice, and my heart makes only worse on thee. Bid they, bid them all fly. When I when I am revenged upon my charm, I have done all. Bid them all fly, be gone. So, it's he blames her again. This is a repetition of what we saw in the previous um, after the previous battle. Um, and Caesar's and Antony's men—they're just celebrating. They're partying. The war is over, as far as they're concerned. Exit Scarus. Go on. Um, is it true? I mean, is uh, is it fair that he blames her? Um, let's go on. Okay. O oh, son, the up, thy uprise shall I see no more. Fortune and Antony part here. Even here do we shake hands. All come to this. The hearts that spanielled me at heels, to whom I gave their wishes, do. This scandy melt their sweets on blossoming Caesar, and this pine is barked that overtopped them all. Betrayed by him. Wait, wait, stop. Do you remember seeing the word discandy earlier? Anyone? Nah, it's just for one. You didn't see that word before. Yeah, we did. Um, the discandying of this pelleted storm. This is what. Cleopatra had said when she calls upon all of Egypt to melt and die and to become poisoned if she doesn't love Antony. So he's picked that word up again. And this is another moment um, of that imagery of things dissolving and melting. Melting. Discandying means candy is basically crystallized sugar. So to discandy would mean that it's dissolving. Um, it's a it's a wonderful word, and uh, Shakespeare uses it twice here. I don't know if he uses it anywhere else. Um, I should look that up. At any rate, um, spanielled. What does that mean? The hearts that spanielled me at heels. What do you think? What's your guess? I'm sure you're all answering, but you forget that you're muted. Something to do with dogs. Yeah, so so um, dogs that are that are eagerly running after you like spaniels um, because they want to treat from you. So they that's what everyone did to him until now. Um, I gave them their wishes, but now they do discandy and melt their sweets. That is, the sugar is dissolving on blossoming Caesar, and this pine is barked that overtopped them all. That is, the tree has had its bark stripped. And who's he most angry at? Cleopatra. Um, go on. Antony? Betrayed I am, oh, this false soul of Egypt, this grave charm, whose eye backed forth my wars and caught me their home, whose bosom was my crownest, my chief end, like right gypsy hath at farthest at blues, beguiled me to the very heart of loss. What okay. heroes, heroes. Thank you. Um, so why is he calling her a gypsy? Wasn't gypsy originally, weren't gypsies originally thought to have originated in Egypt? Yes. Or something so like it, that. Yeah. So it's a um, slang term 
or a um, informal term um, for Roma um, because at the time they were thought to be Egyptian. Um, they're actually from India. Um, the Roma uh, originated in India, but um, that wasn't known then. Um, and they were thought to um, originate in Egypt. And why is she like a right gypsy? That is like a true gypsy. It's the same right as in the term right whale. Um, why is he? Why is he making that comparison? Um, because she's um, beguiled him and kind of uh, led him in the wrong direction and kind of led him to his failure. Yeah. So the idea is that it's taking a stereotype of uh, gypsies as those who are really, really good at um, games like Three Card Monty. Um, they're really, really good at tricking you um, through sleight of hand, that is through beguilement in order to um, get your, um, in, so that you lose your money. So he's taking that um, idea, uh, which is a standard stereotype, um, really up through the 20th century for, um, for the Roma. He's taking that idea and saying, yeah, um, she is an Egyptian. She is a gypsy. If any of you have read any of the His Dark Materials or watched it, um, you'll know that there are a group of people who help Lyra who are called the Egyptians. And in Lyra's world, that's the term for what in um, Philip Pullman's world um, is called gypsy. So like a right gypsy ship at fast and loose that is, you're, so the game of fast and loose is um, you're supposed to figure out, you're supposed to pull a thread and it turns out you think you're going to get something um, from it, but it turns out the thread is loose. So they're able to force which, which string or thread you pull in a game where, where if you pull the right thing, you'll get a prize. So she had fast and loose beguiled me to the very heart of loss. And there's that amazing phrase, the heart of loss. Um, so is it supposed to mirror the use, um, go gypsy at the beginning of the play? Um, so um, Talia, remind people where, um, yeah, um, where. So, yeah, in the beginning, like they describe Cleopatra as a gypsy, like, Antony doesn't describe her as a gypsy, but I can't remember who it is. Yeah, um, that, that he is that she has become that he has become. This is uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has become the bellows and the fan to cool a gypsy's lust. So it is an insulting term. The idea that you would call the queen of Egypt a gypsy is um, that you're that that's uh, the insult that you get at the very beginning of the play. Um, but for Antony, there's still a sense of marvel, even as he's complaining, there's still a sense of marvel here, like a right gypsy. She had that fast and loose beguiled me to the very heart of loss. So Cleopatra comes in, pick up. Ah, uh, thou spell, Avant. And who's Cleopatra? Did I not assign Cleopatra? 
Um, okay, Emery, can you be Cleopatra? Why is my lord enraged against his love? Vanish, or I shall give thee thy deserving, and blemish Caesar's triumph. Let him take thee and hoist thee up to the shouting um, plebeians. Yeah, who, are, who are the plebeians? The common people of Rome. Yeah, the two classes in Rome are the plebeians. Uh, it, it survives in the term plebes. Um, who are the who are among other things the underclass people at West Point, and then the patricians who are the small upper class. Um, it's like the difference between lords and commons in English. Um, for those of you who read uh, Coriolanus, the plebeians are Coriolanus's enemies. Okay, go on. Follow his chariot like the greatest part of all thy sex. Most monster-like be shown for poorest diminutives. For doids and let patient Octavia plow thy visage up with her prepared nails. Okay, so if you're led in triumph, that means that you are imprisoned um, in chains, sometimes chained up to the triumphal um, chariot itself. So a Roman triumph was a big, big thing in Rome. And what it means is that you lead the um, uh, defeated people in a parade and you lead them captive and sometimes they're executed at the end of the triumph. So that's what he's wishing for her humiliation so that the smallest people in Rome, the, diminu the diminutives, the dolts will scorn her. And of course, Octavia, who he's now praising the way he had praised uh, Fulvia at her death, um, might scratch out her eyes. So she leads. Go on, Antony. Tis well thou'rt gone, if it be well to live, but better twere thou fell'st into my fury, for one death might have prevented many. Eros, ho! The shirt of Nessus is upon me. Teach me, Alcides, thou mine ancestor, thy rage. Let me lodge leeches on the horns of, um, of the moon, and with those hands that grasped, grasped the heaviest club, subdue my worthiest self, the witch shall die, to the young woman boy she hath sold me, and I fall upon this plot, she dies for it, Eros whole. Okay, so now he's, a, he's angrier than he's ever been at Cleopatra. Um, and the shirt of Nessus is upon me is that's how Hercules died, um, was that uh, centaur whom he, defeat, whom he had defeated um, gave, do people know this myth? Um, Nessus gave his shirt, which was soaked with his blood to Hercules's wife to give to him. Um, so um, as a kind of parting gift, she not knowing that the blood will burn him like acid and drive him crazy. And um, so when, Her when Hercules puts the shirt on, um, it kills him, but before that he goes into a gigantic rage he th and Alcides is Hercules. That is, um, um, Alcides is, uh, he's being named by his father. Alcides uh, means son of Alcid. Um, and um, 
now he's saying this is um, happening to himself, but he is going to kill her. The witch shall die because he now thinks she did sell him out, which she didn't. But because he had seen her with Thidias, um, and Thidias was, um, she was considering, she was negotiating with Thidias, um, he believes that's what's happened. Uh, Tish. Tish, was your hand up? Uh, sort of. How can you be sure she didn't? I mean, I'm just surprised by your certainty on that. Um, well, I think I think we're going back to to the question that we've been asking for the last two weeks, which is how do you know how to interpret people's motives when the only interpretation that you can have is the reactions that other people have to them. And I think that it's the rest of the play. I think maybe at this moment, you're supposed to think that that's happened, but it's also the case, I think it matters, that Antony doesn't hear Scarus say, swallows have built in Cleopatra's sails their nest, the augurs say they know not, they cannot tell, look grimly, and dare not speak their knowledge. Um, that, that the fact that Antony isn't there when he says that, even if he knows it, the fact that he's not there when Scarus tells us that um, means that at that point, um, the, uh, we're, we're given the reason that Cleopatra's men don't continue fighting. And um, that is, it's a powerful, vivid reason. And um, she's been happy the day before comes thou smiling from the great from the world's great snare uncaught. Oh, infinite Lord, love of loves. Um, so she was ecstatic the previous night when they won the battle. Um, so it's gonna be really hard to think that she was lying the whole time. And had she been lying the whole time, um, Caesar wouldn't have anticipated her suicide as he does. Um, he knows that she's likely to commit suicide, as we're going to see in Act 5. He knows she's likely to commit suicide rather than join with him. If she'd sold him out, that would have been the deal. He would have, he would have given her um, what he was offering her, and she would have accepted that. So I think that the way the play is constructed, even here it's hard to believe that we're supposed to consider the possibility, although Antony does, but Antony is enraged. Um, but by the end of the play, I think it can't be the case that she sold him out. Um, the coming of Dolabella in Act Five, we saw him very briefly earlier, but he's going to be a more important character in Act Five. Um, I think that he is, um, he may, he may, um, be the, be the decisive um, proof, or her inter interaction with him may be the decisive proof of um, her not having sold him out. Um, okay, so let's have, um, Sophia, you can be Cleopatra. Um, we, we're, we've come around again. Um, Matthew, you can be Charmian. Elisa, or um, no, just next scene. Okay, so just do Cleopatra and Charmian, very short scene. Okay. Um, help me, my women. Oh, he's more mad than Talamon for his shield. The boar of the, the Sali was never so embossed. 
the monument. There, lock yourself and send him word you are dead. The soul and body rive not more in parting than greatness going off. To the monument. Marty, and go tell him I have slain myself. Say that the last I spoke was Antony, and word it pry uh, thee piteously. Hence, Marion, and bring me how he takes my death to the monument. Okay, so she wants to die saying Antony. Um, and, or she wants Antony to think that she's died saying Antony. But notice that she is, um, you know, is this manipulative? Yeah. Um, did she ever claim not to be manipulative? No. Um, you can't defend Cleopatra by trying to argue that she's not really manipulative. It's her heart and soul to be manipulative. But that's what Antony loves about her. Um, he loves her heart and soul. So um, they're going to go hide. Um, the monument is um, basically a place that um, a, 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 a large building, an impregnable fortress. Um, and that's where she's going to hide from Antony and from Caesar. And then um, this great scene. So um, uh, Matthew, why don't you be Antony? And Elisa, can you be Eros? Eros, thou yet beholdst me. Wait a second, sorry. I'm, I'm noble lord. Sometime we see a cloud that's dragonish, a vapor sometime like a bear or lion, a towered citadel, a pendant rock, a forked mountain, or blue promontory with trees upon it that nod unto the world and mock our eyes with air. Thou hast seen these signs, they are black vespers pageants. So beautiful description of clouds. Um, what's the other famous description of clouds in Shakespeare? Hamlet, talking yes. to Paul. Yeah. But here, this beautiful description of clouds. And um, Antony is just describing them. Thou hast seen these signs. They are black vespers pageants. Vesper means twilight. And at twilight, you see these clouds. Um, mm -hmm. Antony, go on. Yeah. I, I, my lord. Yeah. That which is now a horse, even with a thought, the rack slims and makes it indistinct as water is in water. It does, my lord. My good knave Eros, now thy captain is even such a body. Here I am, Antony, yet cannot hold this visible shape, my knave. So I hang on, these... wait, wait, stop, stop. So he can't even keep his shape. Um, it's not only that everything else is melting, he himself is losing coherence, is losing his shape. Here I am Antony, not an Antony, but Antony, and yet he can't stay Antony, yet cannot hold this visible shape, my knave. Knave there, by the way, is not insulting. Um, it means um, person who is um, um, my servant. Um, go on. I made these words for Egypt and the queen, whose heart I thought I had, for she had mine, which whilst it was mine, had annexed unto a million more, now lost. She, Eros, has packed cards with Caesar and false played my glory unto an enemy's triumph. Nay, weep not, gentle Eros, there left us ourselves to end ourselves. Okay, stop there for a second. So 
implicit stage direction, how does Eros respond? Eros is crying. Yeah. If you say, nay, weep not, it means um, it's like fall not a tear, I say earlier on. It means that um, Eros is crying. Um, again, notice um, how amazing line 16 is. Whose heart I thought I had, for she had mine. Um, 10 syllables, 10 words, iambic pentameter, and it sums up how he's feeling. Whose heart I thought I had, for she had mine. Um, now he thinks um, he's wrong about that. Um, okay, um, Cassie, can you be Mardian? Um, pick up Antony. Oh, thy vile lady, she has robbed me of my sword. No, Antony, my mistress loved thee, and her fortunes mingled with thine entirely. Hence, saucy eunuch, peace, she hath betrayed me and shall die the death. Death of one person can be paid but once, and that she has discharged. What thou wouldst do is done unto thy hand. The last she spake was Antony, most noble Antony. Then in the midst of a tearing groan did break the name of Antony. It was divided between her heart and lips. She rendered life, thy name so buried in her. So um, quite an, um, an image, especially since it's a lie. Um, but what Martin is doing is, um, is fleshing out Cleopat what Cleopatra um, said he should do, which is he's giving a great death scene, um, but a death scene that's really something from the previous century. This is how um, tear-jerking tragedies would have described a death <coughs> in the 16th century. So the idea is uh, she dies saying, Antony, most noble Antony, um, and then as she's saying it, she screams because, um, because she's killing herself, presumably with a weapon, presumably by sword. And um, so she goes, and, and so Mardian describes this as um, in her heart was the desire to say his name, but she died before she could say the whole thing. She said enough that um, he knows what's in her heart but his, but his name is still buried in her heart at the moment that she dies. So it's an elaborate image. It's um, the kind of image that isn't quite appropriate for Antony and Cleopatra because it's just a little bit too poetic in a familiar and standard way. Um, and so Shakespeare is giving us that image partly because it isn't true but he's also asking us to notice what Cleopatra, how when she does die, which she will at the end of Act Five, um, he's asking us to notice the um, divergence of her actual last words from her invented last words as she gives them here. Um, the uh, American novelist, William Sarayan, um, when he knew he was dying, this was like five days before he died, this was in his obituary, um, called up the New York Times and said to them, I would like to dictate to you my official last words, um, which he then did. Um, and his official last words were something like, ever since I was a kid, I knew about death, but I always thought it didn't really apply to me. So those are his official last words. 
Um, so this is what she meant for her last words, but at least as far as Anthony would know, but no. Okay, Anthony. Dead then. Mardian. Dead. Okay, nice. Well articulated. Very good acting. Um, where have we seen another very quick moment of disbelief and confirmation about a very similar subject? Uh, Anabarbus and Fulvia's death. Yes. Um, <laughs> Fulvia, thy wife is dead. Dead. Um, and then the same with Anabarbus. Yeah. So that's been that interchange has been prepared for. And then Antony's great speech to Eros. Unarm Eros, the long day's task is done and we must sleep. That thou departs hence safe, does pay thy labor richly. Go, off, pluck off. The sevenfold shield of Ajax cannot keep the battery from my heart. Oh, cleave my sides. Heart, once be stronger than thy continent. Crack thy frail case. A pace, Eero, a pace. No more a soldier. Bruised pieces go. You have been nobly born from me a while. So now he wants he wants a soliloquy. So um, to Mardian, it's the fact that I'm not punishing you for the news you bring um, that repays your labor richly. And now he wants to be alone while he has this great last speech, or so he thinks. I will o'ertake thee, Cleopatra, and weep for my pardon. So it must be, for now all length is torture, since the torch is out. So Lie stop down and second. Wait, wait, stop. I'm sorry to keep interrupting and I'm sorry for um, syncopation of the interruption. But this is, again, one of the only two or three times that he calls Cleopatra by name. Um, and he does it the way people have been calling him by name in his absence. Now she's absent and he speaks to the absent Cleopatra, I will take thee Cleopatra and weep for my pardon. And then look at the strange wordplay in the next line, all length is torture since the torch is out. So it's the torch has turned into torture. Okay, um, go on. Since the torch is out, lie down and stray no farther. Now all labor mars what it does. Yea, very force entangles itself with strength. Seal then, and all is done. Eros, I come, my queen. Eros, stay for me. Where souls do couch on flowers, will hand in hand, and with our sprightly port make the ghosts gaze. Dido and her Aeneas shall want troops, and all the haunch would be ours. Come, Eros, Eros. Okay, stop for a sec. Um, how many people have read the Aeneid? Or the first six books of the Aeneid? Ooh, well, time to read it. Um, what happens in the Aeneid is that um, Aeneas leaves Dido in order to go found Rome, and Dido commits suicide in grief and despair. And then two books of the Aeneid later, Aeneas does the thing that you do in Epic, which is, and that you do in Philip Pullman too, for that matter. Um, and that you do in Dante, which is you descend to the underworld to talk to the dead. And so Aeneas descends to the underworld 
and he sees his father there and he sees various other people and he sees Dido. And um, he speaks to Dido, but she looks at him in silence and turns away. Um, and so Antony is misremembering what happens in the Aeneid. He imagines a reunion in the afterlife but in the Aeneid, there is no reunion between Dido and her Aeneas. So, but this play will give us a reunion. So here comes Eros. Eros. Did I not assign an Eros? Yeah, I did. Did I really not? Has Eros not spoken yet? Okay, I'll be yours. What would my lord? Since Cleopatra died, I have lived in such dishonor that the gods detest my baseness. Hey, stop. Um, remember Emily Dickinson on those words? Remember her three-word comment on that line, on that sentence? She said, she wrote in the margin that engulfing sense. Amazing thing to say. And what's engulfing about it is that you use a word like that to talk about a time of your life. You know, since the pandemic started, we've been having classes on Zoom. But you wouldn't say, um, since Cassie came back, um, we have, this class has gone so badly that the gods themselves are um, exiting the meeting. Um, because since implies a length of time. But, for, but what's engulfing about it is that for Antony, the death of Cleopatra is implying that it was a lifetime ago that she was alive, that everything has changed and it feels like it's um, a whole um, period, a whole epoch that is different. So since Cleopatra died, I have lived in such dishonor. He's lived in dishonor since Mardian told him the news. Um, I've lived in such dishonor that the gods detest my baseness. Tish. Oh, I was going to say, I have a similar feeling in Macbeth when they, after they kill Duncan, there's this sort of feeling that at that moment, it, it's just like it's eternity that once he, they kill him, it's, uh, it's like so much time has passed, but not much time has passed. Like an eternity passes in just a few minutes. Yeah. Um, we were cursed from the beginning. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Um, but there's, a, I think, oh, look at the cat. Um, I think there's another Macbeth moment also you could compare this to, anyone? After Macbeth finds Lady Macbeth uh, dead? Yeah, after her death is reported to him. He doesn't yeah, find tomorrow and tomorrow. Yeah. But before that, it's, um, she should have died hereafter. Um, there would have been time for su there would have been a time for such a word. And remember, there's the ambiguity as as to whether should means she ought to have or she would have. Um, if, as seems <coughs> quite likely, this is the 
um, the, the flip side of that moment, if it seems quite likely, you know, at least we can imagine that Shakespeare is writing those two scenes on the same day. You know, obviously we don't know and, and can never know, um, but he certainly was writing the plays at the same time. So if we telescope those two scenes, um, or even if we think that he recognized the similarity of the scenes and would have tinkered with one after writing the other or vice versa, then you can get the idea that should would mean something like it would have happened no matter what. In other words, um, that it's now Lady Macbeth is dead and Macbeth's um, response to that is to think um, that that is not something new worthy of disbelief, but simply a description of a period of life which is the period of life that occurs when um, the person you love has died. Um, and it doesn't matter whether it was today or tomorrow, hence the tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow speech. Um, it is hereafter in Macbeth, I think is doing something like the same work as since is doing in Antony and Cleopatra. Um, that is measuring a long stretch of time. So, okay, pick up. Uh, I that with my sword quartered the world and o'er green Neptune's back with ships made cities condemn myself to lack the courage of a woman, less noble mind than she which by her death our Caesar tells I am conqueror of myself. So Without quick to paraphrase that. She died more noble and courageous than I am because it robbed Caesar of his victory in a sense. Good, right. So, um, and she's shown him what he's supposed to do. So now he says to Eros, go on. Thou art sworn, Eros, that when the exigent should come, which now has come indeed, when I should see behind me the inevitable prosecution of disgrace and horror, that on my command thou then wouldst kill me. Do it, the time has come. Thou strikest not me, tis Caesar thou defeatest. Put color in thy cheek. So Eros is sworn to kill Antony when it was time. This is Roman suicide. Eros, oh, my Eros. Um, the gods withhold me. Shall I do that which all the Parthian darts, though enemy lost aim and could not? So again, the Parthians. Antony? Eros. Wouldst thou be windowed in great Rome, and see thy master thus with bleached arms, bending down his corrigible neck, his face subdued to penetrative same, whilst the wheeled seat of fortunate Caesar drawn before him branded his baseness that ensued? So do you want to see me led in triumph um, while Caesar is, is triumphant over me? I would not see it. Come then, for with a wound I must be cured. Draw that thy honest sword, which thou hast worn, more useful for thy country. Oh, sir, pardon me. That is, don't make me do it. When I did make thee free, swarest thou not then to do this when I bade thee? Do it at once, or thy precedent services are all but accidents unpurposed. Draw and come. Um, sorry. Uh, turn from me then that noble countenance wherein the worship of the whole world 
lies. So I don't want to see your face while I do it. Lo thee. My sword is drawn. Then let it do at once the thing why thou hast drawn it. My dear master, my captain, and my emperor, let me say before I strike this bloody stroke, farewell. Tis said, man, and farewell. Farewell, great chief. Shall I strike now? Now, Eros. Why, there, then. So Eros kills himself. Thus do I escape the sorrow of Antony's death. Thrice nobler than myself, that teachest me, O valiant Eros, what I should and thou couldst not. My queen and Eros have by their brave instruction got upon me a nobleness in their record, but I will be a bridegroom in my death and run into it as to a lover's bed. Come then, and Eros, thy master dies, thy scholar. To do thus, I learned of thee. How? Not dead? Not dead? The guard, ho, oh, oh, dispatch me. So he is, where have we seen the phrase do thus before? The noblest of life, kissing Cleopatra at the beginning. Um, I think it's actually do this at the very beginning, but again, in act one, scene one, um, it is, um, no, it's to do thus. I was right. Um, um, act one, scene one, line 38. Our, dung, our dungy earth alike feeds beast as man. The nobleness of life is to do thus that is kissing her when such a mutual pair and such a twain can do it. Um, so now it's to do thus means to die. Um, and it is, um, he's learned from Eros because Eros had the courage to do it himself, which he did not. And so he says, Cleopatra did it, Eros did it. He doesn't know that Enobarbus has done it. Um, but now he tries to kill himself and he fails. Um, not dead, not dead. The guard, oh, oh, dispatch me. He wants the guard now to finish him off. Um, and um, why don't we have, um, uh, Elisa, do you want to be um, Dirkidus? And we need, um, Cassie, you'd be the first guard, Cheryl, the second guard, um, and uh, Tish, you can be Diomedes. Um, so let's start, yeah, let's, let's go with that. So first guard. What's, what's the noise? I have done my work ill, friends. I'll make an end of what I have become, begun. The star is falling. And time is at his period. Alas, and woe. Let him that loves me strike me dead. Not I. Not I. Nor anyone. Oh, did I not assign a third guard? My death and fortunes. Thy death and fortunes bid thy followers fly. This sword but shown to Caesar with his, with this tidings shall enter me with him. So here's Dersidus um, doing um, 
just being amazingly greedy. And um, he's saying, well, this will get me in good with Caesar. Um, where's Anthony? Notice again that question, where's Anthony? But now the answer is he's right here. Mm. There, Diomed, there. Lucy, will that not answer, man? Art thou there, Diomed? Draw thy sword and give me sufficing strokes for death. Most absolute Lord, my mistress Cleopatra sent me to thee. When did she send thee? Now, my Lord. Where is she? Locked in her monument, she had a prophesying fear of what hath come to pass. For when she saw, which never shall be found, you so did suspect your she had disposed with huh? There's your answer, which never shall be found. Um, when she saw your suspicion, which will never be found true. So the only reason um, that Shakespeare has him say that is to tell the audience that it's not true. Oh, okay. You did suspect she had disposed with Caesar and that your rage would not be purged. She sent you word she was dead, but fearing since how it might work, hath sent me to proclaim the truth. And I am come, I dread too late. So, yep, Elvie, does this answer your question? A little, but still, I mean, again, she would have known that if she faked death, Antony would really kill himself. I mean, just based on how much he knows Antony. So, yep. still, like, this is such an extreme way. Yeah, um, and that's why she suddenly realizes that she'd better send Diomedes to stop him. Um, because uh, it suddenly occurred to her that this was a mistake. What she wanted was his sympathy and wanted him to, um, uh, remember she wanted Mardian to tell her how Antony took the news. And the idea would be that uh, she could then um, uh, know how to proceed and tell him no, is, uh, the, the reports of her death were exaggerated and that everything would be okay. But suddenly she realized, no, he may take the news in the worst possible way. Um, and uh, she didn't know that, um, well, she probably knows more after Antony responds to Mardian as he does, that he doesn't celebrate her death, but he is um, full of, of um, a sense of the awfulness of it all. Um, so I'm come, I dread too late, Antony. Too late, good diamond. Call my guard, I prithee. What ho, the emperor's guard, the guard, what ho, come your lord calls. Bear me, good friends, where Cleopatra bides. Tis the last service that I shall command you. So this is, this actually is the last service. Before he said, maybe it is the period of your duty. Now it actually is the last service. Woe, woe are we, sir. You may not live to wear all your true followers out. Most heavy day. Nay, good my fellows, do not please sharp fate to grace it with your sorrows. Bid that welcome which comes to punish us, and we punish it, seeming to bear it lightly. Take me up, I have led you oft, carry me now, good friends, and have my thanks for all. 
So right now he is mortally wounded. Um, okay, Cleopatra, um, we're gonna need uh, Cleopatra, Asharmian, uh, Diomedes, you can continue being Diomedes. And um, you did yeoman's labor, Matthew, so why don't we, um, uh, why don't we have um, Cassie be Antony? And um, will we get to the end of this scene? Probably not, but um, let's, go, let's go as far as we can. So, enter Cleopatra and her maids in the monument aloft. Um, you know that on the Elizabethan stage, um, there is a kind of small platform stage in the back of the stage. Can people picture this? Have you all seen pictures of this at some point? So what there is, is there's a stage and then on the back of the stage, there is a raised platform, which usually will have a curtain hanging down from it. So you don't worry about what's happening under the platform. Um, and usually you don't notice it, but there'll be a raised platform and then it's possible for people to show up above as the, um, in Richard II, it's when Richard appears at the top of the battlements, he goes into that platform. Um, when Cleopatra is looking down at Romeo, um, she's looking down from that platform. Um, when there's a curtain there, Polonius may hide behind the curtain that descends from the platform and gets stabbed behind it. So it's a standard bit of stage architecture. And that is now going to be the monument for Cleopatra. So that, that's why she and her maids are aloft. Um, so Cleopatra. Did I sign Cleopatra? Did I not? I feel sure that I did. Okay. Um, who did I sign you, Cassie? Anthony. Okay, Cheryl, do you want to be Cleopatra? Wait, you're muted. I'll unmute you. Okay. <laughs> oh, Charmian, I will never go from hence. Charmian? Did I not assign anyone? I thought I assigned everyone. All right. I'm dead. Okay, go. Tish. Oh, no, I'm Diomedes. Oh, okay. So, all right, I'll be Sherman. Be comforted, dear madam. No, I will not. All strange and terrible events are welcome, but comforts we despise. Our size of sorrow proportioned to our cause must be as great as that which makes it. So notice when she says, I'll never go from hence, that's again, more proof that she has no plans to make a deal with Caesar. Um, How now, is he dead? His death's upon him, but not dead. Look at the other side, your monument. His guard have brought him hither, thither. Oh, son, burn the great field that thou movest in. Darkling, stand thy variance sure or, or the world, O oh, Antony. Antony, Antony, help Charmian, help Iris, help, help friends below, let's draw him hither. Peace, not Caesar's valor hath overthrown Antony, but Antony's hath triumphed on itself. So it should be that none but Antony should conquer Antony, but woe tis so. 
I am dying, Egypt, dying. Only I hear importune death a while, until of many thousand kisses the poor last I lay upon thy lips. I dare not, dear. Dear my lord, pardon. I dare not, lest I be taken. Not the imperious show of the full fortune Caesar ever shall be brooched with me. If knife, drug, serpents have edge, sting, or operation, I am safe. Your wife Octavia, with her modest eyes and still conclusion, shall acquire no honor denturing, oh, demurring upon me. But come, come, Antony, help me, my women. We must draw him up. Assist good friends. So Antony had said, can you come down and give me this last kiss? She says, I dare not um, because Caesar will take me. But then they pull him up. Um, remember um, earlier on, she'd said of every fish that she'll think every one of them an Antony and say, aha, you're caught. So now it's as though she actually is pulling him up um, as um, the way she had pulled up fishes from before. And this is, just think how astonishingly amazing it is of Shakespeare to do this, that here is the last reunion. We didn't see their reunion, remember, in the marketplace. Now here's the last reunion of Antony and Cleopatra. And Shakespeare makes it occur farcically, not in order, you know, the idea of, what you're seeing on stage is he's being pulled up by pulleys, but he's doing it not in order to make fun of this, but to show that they that decorum, that doing things the way tragedy is supposed to do it and being responsible, let's say, to the genre of tragedy is not their way. That what they do at the moment of Antony's death, and you'll see this also at the moment of Cleopatra's death, um, they're still doing it in a joking way. And it's not even gallows humor. It's um, that they're, they so um, just take off from each other. They're so, each makes the other so effervescent that they become, they are always delightful, even and it doesn't undo the tragedy, but they're always delightful, even at the moment of tragedy. Tish. Yeah, I feel like, uh, I'm not positive about this, but when they first met at Sidness, there was this question of whether um, uh, Cleopatra was in town and Antony was arriving at, and would she go to his place or would he go to her place? Right. And there yeah. was a similar kind of a thing. And I think he, he ended up uh, going to her place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good. So that's a really good, um, that's, that's the description that Ina Barbas gives. And um, yeah, this could be the, um, the enactment. That's great. The enactment of their original meeting. We're now finally seeing it at the moment of Antony's death. Um, so they begin lifting him up, Antony. Sorry. Oh, quick, or I am gone. Here's sport indeed. How heavy weighs my Lord. Our strength is all gone into heaviness. That makes the weight. Had I great Juno's power, the strong wind mer Mercury should fetch thee up and set thee by Jove's side. Yet come a little. Wishes were ev <clears throat> ever were fools. Oh, come, come, come. So they heave the stage direction. They heave Antony aloft to Cleopatra. 
and welcome, welcome. Die when thou hast lived, quicken with kissing. Had my lips that power, thus would I wear them out. Ah, heavy sight. I am dying, Egypt, dying. Give me some wine and let me speak a little. No, let me speak. And let me rail so high that the false housewife fortune break her wheel, provoked by my offense. One word, sweet queen. Of Caesar seek your honor with safety. Oh. They do not go together. Gentle. So her honor and herself do not go together. Go on. Gentle, hear me. None about Caesar trust but Proculius. So that's good to know that we should trust Proculius, right? Um, information we can use. Go on. My resolution and my hands I'll trust. None about Caesar. So what does my resolution and my hands I'll trust mean? She's going to kill herself. Yeah. She, she trusts her own resolution to kill herself by her own hands. Let's just get to his death. Antony? The miserable change now at my end, lament nor sorrow at, but please your thoughts in feeding them with those my former fortunes, wherein I lived the greatest prince of the world, the noblest, and do now not basely die, not cowardly put off my helmet to my countrymen, a Roman, a Roman valiantly vanquished. Now my spirit is going, I can no more. Noblest of men, wouldst die? Hast thou no care of me? Shall I abide in this dull world, which in thy absence is no better than a sty? O see my women, the crown o'er the earth doth melt, my lord. Okay, why don't we stop there? Um, the, um, A quick story. Um, some of you may know this. When um, when Julian, Julian, are you here? He's upstairs. Uh, when Julian was about six years old, we went to see Antony and Cleopatra. Um, he was a little bit young for it. And um, we went to see it at Theater for a New Audience in New York City. Um, and uh, let's just say that after about three hours, he was getting kind of impatient. And um, then He's, then um, Antony finally tells Eros to kill him. And Julian, who is um, eager for the play to end, said, uh, just said to me, good, he's going to kill himself now. The play's going to be over. And I said, not that fast. And then um, Eros kills himself, and then Antony plunges himself upon the sword, and Julian said, good, now he'll die. The play's going to be over. And I said, not quite yet. Um, and finally, after another 45 minutes or so, when Cleopatra dies, he just looked at me in the sweetest um, way and said, is it going to be over now? <laughs> and I said, yeah, it is. So we're getting there. It's not over yet, but it's possible that we'll finish tomorrow. So um, see, I hope all of you, but at least some of you and maybe some others tomorrow at 1230. And um, Emery, we're supposed to talk now, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, so th because this is being recorded, I'm just going to send you another link for another Zoom meeting. 
um, so that it doesn't get recorded with the class. So uh, just check your email in about two minutes. And see you all tomorrow. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everyone.